Welcome to the Church for Dummies podcast, where we explain church history and ecclesiology to dumb people like us. Now here are your hosts, Josh Whitney and Isaac Thibodeau. TV already, Wilma and Betty. Anyways, that's Weird Al. <laughs> <laughs> I like Weird Al. I like Weird Al too. Yeah, he's got some good music. Yep. Well, good evening, sir. Good evening. How are you? I'm smashing. Smashing. That's wonderful. Mm. Feeling better? Much better. Good. Yes. Wow. Good thing we didn't record this a couple days ago. Otherwise, my voice would be very groggy and yes. disgusting. I'd be waking you up. Yes. Yes. Well, glad you're better. Yeah, man. Well. Somber tone. Yeah. <laughs> what are we talking about this <clears throat> evening, my friend? Church history. Church history. For dumb people. I don't think we're talking about church history, are we? Well, I mean... This whole thing is about church history. Everything's about church history. Technically, we are. Technically. At least from our perspective, it's yeah. church history. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pick up on what you're doing. <laughs> yes, I believe it's church history. Other people might think it's different segmented times of how... Anyways, we're talking tonight. <laughs> tonight is covenant theology versus dispensational theology. Ding, ding. Put that ringer for the wrestling match, you know, the boxing match. Round one. Yes. <laughs> um, You're about to go to SmackDown, brother. You don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> that was my whole call game. I'm, I'm just thinking of uh, the Thousand Foot Crutch song, SmackDown. Get ready for the SmackDown. You don't know that song, do you? No, I had oh, a more emo man. phase. Ah. So I didn't really listen to those ones. Bummer. I recognize them. Okay. I definitely know of songs of theirs that I enjoyed, but I wasn't into the whole like kind of music. Yeah, hard rock is where it's at, bro. Mm-mm. Well, anyways, <laughs> anyways, <I> <laughs> so. welcome to Songs for Dummies, where we break down different songs and bands from past years. Yeah. No, so today we're talking about covenant theology versus dispensational theology. This is probably the most. I don't want to say estranged, but probably more minute, specific topics we've gotten to lately mm-hmm. where general broad strokes of church history and different things and obviously small things that have happened and different things. But this is probably the most um, specific and not as widely talked about. But as we're going to get to, we believe it's extremely important to yes, have a solid grip on and what are the implications of of one of these views and how it interprets scripture or not how it interprets scripture, but how we interpret scripture to see these things and a whole bunch of different stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So let's give a quick breakdown of what we're going to do. And then we will jump in and define our big fancy terms that we used at the beginning of the episode. Um, Because I'm sure that, (laughs) yes, uh, dude, that's that needs to be our intro for this episode. Instead, we of- we need to have a sound bite <laughs> of like heavy metal, break it down, and then it's gonna cut off, and you're just gonna start talking. <laughs> dude, ah, that's awesome. Okay, so let's um, so let's talk about a breakdown of what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about um, dispensational theology, what the word means, and what we mean by the word, and the whole system of viewing the Bible through that. Um, covenant theology, we'll talk about that, and then we'll explain why this conversation even matters, mm. because a lot of people might be wondering, I've never heard these words before, I yep. don't think they're in the Bible, why in the world does this matter? Yeah. It does matter. So uh, so let's explain this for a bit, 
Um, let's go into dispensational theology. Um, yeah. Do you want me to define it? Or do you want to define it? I can define it. Yeah. All right. So for dispensational uh, theology, it really comes down to that first part of dispensation that there it, at, at its core believes that there are uh, seven dispensations, seven periods of time of how God, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but how God interacted and worked through his people. Right. Um, very distinct. And not that God's character changed. I don't want to, I don't want you to get that impression. Like God's like who God is changed right. s- seven different times, right. but uh, how he interacted with his people and the mode in which he used to influence and interact with his people were happened in seven different dispensations. And yep. one of those dispensations not happening yet. So that's a future dispensation. Right. Um, and those are just real quick, and then we'll start breaking them down a little bit. But um, the dispensation of innocence, conscience, human government, promise, law, grace, and millennial kingdom. Right. Yeah. Yep. So that's, that's a basic summary. And we want to be fair here because um, the vanilla evangelical perspective, <laughs> the vanilla American Christian perspective is dispensational theology. <laughs> We're we're more of like Neapolitans. <laughs> <just> vanilla. <laughs> you sorry. mean like your default position? That's the default you're position. You're saved. If you're Baptist, dispensational. Dude, so like if if people are listening to this and have never heard the term dispensational theology or covenant theology, you're probably dispensational. Yeah, that's probably what you are if you live in America. Most I would say most pastors throughout, especially the Bible Belt, I would yeah. say, is, uh, all of this is that's how it is like god right. worked in these different ways we see that and yeah. right exactly and we'll give let me explain a few distinctives before we actually go into break down each of these dispensations so first of all within what's called dispensational theology um there are a number of different perspectives there are some that are more strict on this whole seven periods of time thing mm-hmm. there are some that wouldn't explain it that way mm-hmm. but they do share other aspects of this so Probably the biggest distinction between dispensational theology and covenant theology, which we'll get into covenant theology in a minute, um, is the view of Israel in the church. Mm. I would say that is one of the biggest distinctions, not the only, but one of the biggest. And with that, that distinction, dispensational theology sees a very stark difference between Israel and the church. They would see them as two separate entities— both yep. sharing in the salvation of God, yep. but with different promises yep. corresponding to each. So in effect, God has two separate people, Israel and the church. And God's main priority is Israel, mm-hmm. and the church is kind of, uh, they reap the benefits, many of the benefits, but they're not really the main priority. So the Gentiles are not really the main priority. Yeah, and um, we didn't really go into this, but if I would yeah. just say, like, that's... I, I don't want to say all of it is hinged on this, but you you get that you can get that view um, with this thought process and reading Romans ten about the olive tree being grafted in. Um, I can't quote it to you, but in Romans ten, I you you get that language. So it's, it's Romans eleven. Alone, no, it's it ten. It it's no, 11. it's not. So nine is. It's eleven, bro. Sorry. Is it eleven? Yeah. 
So I thought I said 11 once and then I went to 11 and I went back and it was actually in chapter 10. I I will trust you. <laughs> I'm just having a really hard time with the fact that I was like, in Romans 10, <laughs> what we see is the olive branch. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no, it's no. <laughs> so I'm having Sorry, a hard I, time right I just, now. I just wanted to embarrass you on air. So. <sighs> okay, you should probably continue. All right. Um, well, no, you can keep going. <laughs> but yeah, you 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 see that terminology. I think we would have, we, based off of all of scripture, because no one should take a view and then impose it on scripture if you if you view, if you view scripture appropriately. Um, but all that saying, I can see where this train of thought comes from if you only view for certain specific portions of scripture, Romans 11 being one of them, of <laughs> the olive branch being grafted in to the tree um, and, and having that viewpoint. Right, 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 exactly. And yeah, there's a number of, number of factors. There's a complicated history to it. Sure. But uh, but yeah, basically that's that's the biggest, biggest distinction. Um, let's talk about covenant theology briefly, and then we'll get into the distinctions of, of the actual dispensations and the covenants. Um, so covenant yeah. theology um, is is different. So the way dispensational theology views the whole of Scripture playing out is that God is working through time during these different periods of time, these different silos, if you will, so like separate silos where God is doing different things. Of course, there is a progression going along, um, but they're, they seem very distinct from each other, these very distinct times. Um, and there is that distinction between Israel and the church and et cetera. Whereas covenant theology does not view it like that at all. Like covenant theology views it is that there's God has this eternal plan, which of course dispensational theology would view God having an eternal plan. I don't think he just did this willy nilly, but (laughs) covenant theology would view this eternal plan of God, um, that he has to bring about his kingdom. And he, he brings about his kingdom through making promises, these covenants to his people. Um, and there's a number of ways to explain this. Um, the historic view is that God had what's called a covenant of redemption. Mm-hmm. The father and the son and the spirit made a covenant together that they would save a people that the father would save a people for his son by the Holy spirit. Mm. Um, and that he carries this out throughout time and the progression of these covenants that he makes with his people. There's a covenant that he makes with Adam, covenant with Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and ultimately Christ with a new covenant, right? It's just boom, 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 boom. And uh, and they God brings about his plan and his kingdom through these covenants. So it's um, the way I, I would say it's helpful to view in over against dispensational theology is with the covenants, whether... Um, with the covenants, it's they're more connected organically. Yeah, because I could easily look to be like, okay, it's there's six covenants here. God made a covenant, so like He agreed to do something with Adam, and then He agreed to do something with Noah, right? And then He, so I mean, we're still talking about the same thing, aren't we? Right. Yeah, and it's similar. Um, I would say this is where dispensationalists should go with their different periods of time. I right. So we'll get this. there's so much I want to say. <laughs> I was dude. trying to be like, oh, this might be uh, a good question, but then I realized, oh no, that's just a rabbit. Can of worms. Sorry. So much I want to say. Sorry. Um, 
It would be helpful to define the term covenant, though, because we did define dispensation. So a covenant is basically a a relational contract. Mm. So marriage is a perfect example of this. When when you are when you get married to someone, you are making a legal commitment, a promise, a legal promise. Um, but it's always in relationship. You can have a contract, and it's not as relational. It's more robotic or um a personal mm-hmm. however with covenants it's there's always this a deep relationship involved a friendship mm-hmm. involved so you can see with it the covenant that um that god made with abraham mm. it's very personal one. go read go read genesis 12 genesis 15 and genesis 17 you see the the beauty i think it's 16 it's not. I know. <laughs> Trust me, man. I know these. I know these references for this stuff, at least. <laughs> Plenty of other stuff I don't. But, <laughs> anyways, um, almost had me there, buddy. I'll um, get you. <laughs> so, um, anyways, it's relational. It's, it's like marriage. Mm. Um, so God is making these these promises to his people over time, and ultimately all of them are fulfilled in Christ, which historically is called the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I don't like using those traditional terms of covenant of redemption, covenant of um, works, and covenant of grace. Um, yeah. Because... I was going to say technically that's out of order, but works, grace, redemption. Yeah, yeah. Either way. Anyways, those terms. <laughs> yeah, those terms. I don't yeah, I, I I steer away from using them when I explain this to people because those those aren't actually in the Bible. Like those yeah. words yeah. aren't. But you can clearly see these promises that God makes with his people that are called covenants throughout the Bible, just in the natural storyline of the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's the promise God makes with Adam. If you um if you don't eat of this tree, um, you know, I'll give you you know, you'll be blessed and you'll be able to eat of the tree of life and all these things. Um, if you do eat of the tree, you will surely die. It's this promise with blessings and cursings, depending on the party's obedience to the covenant. And then there's the covenant he makes with Noah and, and all of creation, that he's mm-hmm. not going to flood the earth mm-hmm. um, and that the seasons will continue. Covenant with Abraham, Moses, etc. So like, it's a natural storyline of the Bible, whereas dispensational theology, though um, their terms, innocence, conscience, human government, promise, law, grace, millennial kingdom, those do follow the storyline of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say they're kind of arbitrary without the covenants. Right. They're just like, why are these different silos of times there? I would say the reason these God is doing different things at these periods of time is because of the covenants he is making with his people. I don't think he's just arbitrarily deciding to do different things at different times. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Hopefully that makes sense. I feel like I'm kind of all over, all over the place because I'm so excited about this. Topic. <laughs> no, I think it was good. Um, yeah. Anything else we should touch on with those before we get into kind of why it should touch on or can touch on? Uh, should or can? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. This is, that's a good question. <laughs> No, I think I think that explains I think that explains everything. Um not everything. I think that explains everything we need to. Absolutely. So I would move then into um kind of 
categorizing these things together, talking about the two differences, let's talk about why this conversation even matters. Um, Because at first, you know, when we first started this, we were talking about that. And um, so now we don't just think that if you're a good Christian, you should know these theological terms. Um, We truly do believe that these viewpoints dictate Oh, or, I mean, Will, I I refrain from wanting to say dictate or something because what I'm trying, what I'm not trying to get at is you need to pick a side because it'll help you view the Bible better. That's not what I'm trying to get at. But how these these theological concepts is is how we view Scripture, and depending on which one you have, does influence how you see Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we pick the ones that we see plainly evident in scripture, not one that seems familiar, one that seems um, easier to understand because we we understand time better um, than we do God's eternal plan. But we should go to scripture, see what scripture says, and then make a decision because as we're about to go into, these have consequences. Yes, um, they do. Some of my favorite, there's, shirts out there that say these things and i've always loved them like theology matters and eschatology matters which is study of the end times um these things do matter i've heard some people say like all we need to do is focus on focus on preaching the gospel and reading our bible and the rest will fall into place and i don't want to dog that heart because that's a it's a beautiful heart to want to preach the gospel um but i mean everywhere old testament um, the law, um, the Psalms, the wisdom books, the prophets, the gospels, the the letters, um, the apocalyptic literature, all of these things everywhere, it talks about the seriousness of doctrine. Yeah. Doctrine matters. Yep. Um, as it, it, without doctrine, we wouldn't have the gospel. Amen, dude. Without doctrine, we would just say, like, well, you know, Jesus, um, he said he died. And if we believe his name will be alive, so we should just believe that. It's like it's all rooted in deep, beautiful, wonderful doctrine. Jesus didn't show up out of nowhere. So anyways, all of that to say, let's talk now a little bit as to why this whole conversation even matters. Why even talking specific terms that no no one has ever even heard of? Um, Why does this stuff matter? So Yeah, let me ask you a question, Josh. Okay. So how, how is it? So we said... You said what under why it matters. The first thing you said is it affects your view of the Bible, like how the Bible relates to itself, how yeah. the different themes in the Bible, the different promises, all that, like how it relates. How do you see the Old Testament in light of the New Testament and all, all that stuff? Yeah. So in what ways does it affect, like do these covenant theology versus dispensational theology? How is it that these different views affect how you view the Bible fitting together? Yeah, so with the dispensational side, and and grant as we mentioned before, that was my default. Yeah. I was I grew up Baptist. Um, my mother's family came from a more um, fundamentalist back- background. Yep. My father was uh, was a uh, actually he was Missionary Alliance uh, was where he was ordained, but he after that was a Baptist and that's how I was raised. And so when I went to a Bible college that was dispensational, this is just, this is just how it was. Um, so when you read 
when you see scripture in light of these dispensations, I would say you you see you see separations, you see distinctions, you see um, this was them, this is us. You see this kind of separation of God's plan. You know, God was doing this. After a little bit, God decided to do this. And if I'm, I want to say, if I'm misrepresenting this side and you are dispensational, you've given this a lot of thought, love to know that. We have a Facebook page. I, I would love to know that. I wouldn't, I don't want to just throw this out there. But how I see it is that, like, all of the separation distinctives, Israel is still over there. Um, God's people, uh, as far as, like, the church is over here. Um you know, eventually we end up in the same place with God, but, you know, we're still separate in, in some of the things that's going to happen to us. When you see the scripture as covenantally, starting with Adam, God made a covenant with Adam, and when he gets to Abraham, he talks about that covenant, and I'm establishing this covenant with you. And then we see um, as Abram Abram turns into Abraham, and then even all the way through to Moses, his covenant with Moses is, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Like, and he's continuing this, and I'm like, this is my covenant with you, and he gives him the law, and all the way through to Christ, and then there's going to be a covenant later, all of it points to God moving in one direction, with one flow, with one central idea, with one plan that's built upon to come to the same outcome at the end yes which i think we all both sides would agree that that's what god has been doing but i would argue that the covenant theology perspective is more in line with what scripture actually says dispensational is adding things to make sense of some things Mm -hmm. instead of the bible just letting it flow Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's a complicated mess. It's a casserole of crazy things. Um, not uh, not uh, dispensationalism all altogether, but <laughs> the whole issue. But yeah, yeah. But anyways, not trying to be a straw straw manner. But um, yeah. So no, I, I agree. I think the the biggest. So the, my my biggest issue with this is, um. So. I came from a dispensational perspective and my, my main thing, I didn't really care so much about the, the whole different periods of time thing, Mm. whether talking about covenants or, or the different dispensations of conscience, promise, law, grace, all that, Yeah, which are very similar to the the covenants. Yeah. And I think there's a reason for that. It's because they see those things. Yeah but they're just not connecting them with the covenants. Anyways, my, my main issue, though, is not with that, um, or wasn't with that when I was a dispensationalist. My main issue was the view of Israel yeah, and the church. And I think that's honestly where most people probably get hung up. Yeah. Um, I know that my old pastor, um, who is very much so dispensational, um, he um, always super strong in making that distinction between Israel and the church, and he, it, he viewed it as very dangerous to see, um, like them without that distinction. Mm. Um, and so I carried, I inherited that from him. I inherited right. that kind of 
suspicion. Suspicion <laughs> uh, on to you. And I, you know, and that's fine. I, I get why people do that. But here's here's the main thing. Like, this is what I mean by it, just how the scriptures relate to the whole. So my default, the reason I viewed Israel as a completely separate entity from the church, and Israel still has future land promises that the church has nothing to do with, but it's all for Israel um, someday. Um, and the church is just kind of lucky to get get in on this. Mm. <laughs> like, um, my main reason for holding on to that is because I was going to the Old Testament, seeing these promises, these land promises that God was making to Israel, like right. what he made to Abraham and, right. and all that. And I'm thinking, okay, well, Israel hasn't had that land. Yeah. So God has promises that he hasn't made good on yet with Israel. Right. And here we are now, still hasn't happened. So obviously God isn't slack concerning his promises. He is going to fulfill these. Yeah. And I think that is the baggage that people carry in, whether it's good baggage or not, they carry that into the New Testament, looking for the fulfillment of this. And the only place that fits is after the seven years of tribulation in that in a particular view of Revelation, of course. Not everyone views Revelation the same way, but in this particular right, view, right, right. they would see a literal thousand years where those land promises are fulfilled for Israel, right? So, but that's the baggage they brought in that forced them into that view, like, because you are looking for this land promise for Israel, right. which is really the main crux of the issue, I think. Yeah. Because you're looking for this, and you don't see it playing out in the church age, the age of, this, of the church. It must happen later. Right. Right? Whereas I realized after a long period of time why that issue is such a problem. It's because we are going to the Old Testament, we are exegeting the passages, we are getting an interpretation of these passages right from the Old Testament, taking that interpretation and trying to make it fit in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Whereas we're completely forgetting what the New Testament is. In the New Testament, what the apostles are writing about is very much so, in many ways, a commentary on the Old Testament. Yeah. it's In so many ways it is. So what we actually need to be doing is we need to look to the New Testament authors to give us the Holy Spirit-inspired explanation of the Old Testament. We need to go to the New Testament to interpret the Old. And I know that seems counterintuitive to a lot of people, but the reason we do that is very much so because we view the New Testament as the ultimate revelation, which is Jesus Christ. Not that it's superior in the sense of... Jesus it, theology. Right. <laughs> it's not that it's more... It's not that it's superior in the sense like of quality. It is God's word either way. Yeah. But in the, the, the type of revelation that it is, it is... It's like a hindsight 2020 kind of thing. Right. Yeah, Jesus came... And he said that all of the law and the prophets spoke of me. Right. When he resurrected and came across, oh, I'm going to get it wrong. I don't know. Andrew and Philip I don't know on the road. Was. You got me on there, buddy. Okay. You could, you could say anything and I, I wouldn't know. Uh, <laughs> as far he, as a reference. <laughs> he says that starting, starting in Genesis, he went through and showed. Yeah, right. Moses and the prophets. Yeah. He showed like. This was me. This was me. This was me. This one was about me. This one was me. This one was anyway. I'm going on and on. Yeah. Um, I nowhere in because that happens a lot. Jesus said it a lot. Um, the New Testament apostles and writers said it a lot. That it all had to do about Jesus. 
Yeah. Never once does it say, except for the land promises, obviously. All of these things we're told were fulfilled in Christ. Yes, exactly. Amen. So, yeah, dude, that you hit you hit the nail on the head there. So, like, the, the covenant theology is looking at all these promises that were made to God's people and seeing them find their spearhead, their ultimate fulfillment um, or expression in Jesus and his work and what he is doing and, and will do, because some of that carries over to what he's going to do in the future. But it's all about Jesus. Not to say that dispensationalists don't care about Jesus, but in the covenant <laughs> theology view, it is so much more. Um, it's so much more of of a consistent storyline, right? And it, it's progressively coming to this spearhead, this mm -hmm. head in Jesus, and it's so awesome because, like, this is I I got off track of where where I was going with the original yeah. thing I was saying, like we need to look at the New Testament and see how the New Testament explains the Old Testament. Can I say one of my biggest cringe things? And yeah. if, if you've ever done this, I'm not, I'm not mad, but it's just one of the things I think of when people are like, you know, like there, there was like the Old Testament, this when I'm speaking as people speaking, there was the Old Testament, and then Jesus came and like brought it up to 10. Or like Jesus came and like, and and like, like raised the bar. And talking about when Jesus comes in and like makes the uh, the purpose of the New Testament, Jesus' teaching was raise the bar or make it better or oh. um, increase this. And I'm going, it, it, well, no, <laughs> it was him. It was him fulfilling it and bringing it back to what it always was. Because you can read the Old Testament and see mercy and grace and love in the heart all throughout the Old Testament. Yes. The throughout. only times you don't is when you don't want to. That's yes. the only way you can read the Old Testament yes. and think Jesus pointing at adultery in your heart was something brand new is someone who didn't actually care about the love of God in the law and the prophets. Yeah. That's the only way you can, because, and again, it's hindsight 2020. Everybody was expecting a Roman uh, defeater. Right. Like, so it's not as if um, we're somehow smart. Like, obviously hindsight is 2020, but Jesus showed how it all was about him showed how it was right. all about the Dude, spirit. Yes. It was all about it. It was never like this separation, this specific thing. I mean, even the, even the outlying of the temple and the, um, the altar, all of, all of that had to do with who Jesus was. It was never about, right. it was all pictures. Yeah. Of him. Dude. Sorry. Amen. No, no, right on. It's, it's this so was good. supposed to be a short, <laughs> <laughs> the old, the old Testament, <laughs> What had many of the truths concealed or not as clear yeah. in it, right? And like Jesus, like we we didn't know him by name, but we had these faint, these very faint promises of him. And then as you move on and there's more revelation in the Old Testament through the prophets and it progresses, we see a little bit more clearer revelation. I think one of the clearest would be Isaiah 53, mm. you know, explaining that the Messiah is going to come, the servant of the Lord is going to come, and he's going to die for the nation and bring salvation um, and resurrection and all these things. Like we see, so it's really clear there, but like it's still concealed. And that's, that's exactly why everyone was so surprised at what Jesus did. 
because we didn't know how he was going to do these things. Mm. Nobody knew. They knew the Messiah was coming. They knew little bits and pieces. But only afterward, when Jesus comes, the Holy Spirit comes, he explains everything to his apostles. Do we, hindsight 2020, understand all that and the veil is taken away? How many times does it say this? Like, uh, Go read it for yourself, dispensationalist. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. (laughs) (laughs) That was snarky. I'm sorry. I was just just being funny. I was just being funny. Hopefully everybody knows we do all of this in love and we have no like ill will or animosity. Oh, no way. No way. Um, Just playing. (laughs) But um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, talking about the the Jews... um, after, after Jesus has come and everything, the Jews who still reject Jesus as the Messiah. Paul says they read Moses, but there is a veil lying over their hearts. There is a veil. They don't see what they're supposed to see. And then he says the veil is taken away in Christ. The veil is taken away in Christ. When we read like the Old Testament, there's a veil over it. We can't understand all that it's about without the f- the revelation of Jesus. You can get don't don't get me wrong. You can't. It's not like you won't understand anything. You can. It's still there, but but it's so much more clear once you see Jesus and who He is, and then you look back, and then it makes so much more sense. So the whole point of what I'm saying is, once I did that, once I real, once I just looked to the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament for mm-hmm. me. Um, I realized very quickly that the New Testament authors didn't see this weird disconnect between Israel and the church. They very much so viewed them as the same entity. In fact, Paul says in Romans 9, he says that, and this is going to be an episode that we get into later, actually, so maybe I won't go into it. You stepped on this. But Paul says in Romans 9, there's an Israel, um, and then there's an Israel within Israel. Not all Israel is Israel. Not all of Abraham's seed is Abraham's seed. There's a true Israel, and that's what the church is. They are true Israel. Those who believe, those who are, those who believe are counted as Abraham's offspring. Except that, did you? Is that a can of worms you just opened? It is. Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you like it? Yeah, I do. It's I like it. Yeah, sorry. Anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah. Woo, can of worms. Wow. Yeah, we should have uh, put a little bit more in our outline about this stuff because <laughs> to keep me on track. Do you wanna? Do you wanna get Isaac and Josh talking for like forty-five minutes? Bring up. Um, bring up covenants to us <laughs> and talk about um god's people in the old testament and the yes. church in the old you it's like my favorite favorite topic right now my wife i was telling isaac about this and i'm not going to read it all but my wife this morning sent me a text about uh with uh in genesis joseph talking to his brothers about the reason he's there and my wife's uh comment underneath is like wow the the imagery of jesus with exclamation points and it's just it's true. Yes, right <laughs> one on. of my favorites. Side note: I don't know if you want to do this one too. I love the bronze serpent mm. in the old. Te- like whenever, oh man, oh that one. I don't. I don't know if we're allowed to have favorites, but I love that story of the bronze serpent yes. and how Jesus ties into it in John three. I just, oh my gosh. Anyways, it's incredible. Yep. Yeah. Um. So Kinda we need to. We need to move. Point. We need to move on with these. <laughs> All right, so the second one, um, uh, we can do these really quick. This one, uh, it affects our connections. It, it affects our connection to saints of old. Right, yeah. Hebrews 12 says, um, after the whole explaining 
all these people in the Old Testament who had faith and died for their faith. Um, talking about Abel, Moses, uh, Samson. Yeah, the uh, Faith Hall of Fame. Right. I don't know, actually. Does it mention Samson? I think it does. I think it does. Anyways, yeah. It mentions Lot. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. The, the Hall of Faith mentions the Hall of Faith, all these people. And then uh, chapter 12, it's encouraging us to have that same faith, pursue the same. It says, um, just as we have such a great cloud of witnesses, mm. and it mentions that, um, there's this seemingly like, there's this connection with these New Testament saints and and these Old Testament witnesses that it's talking mm. about, these people that you just got done talking about. We're yeah. supposed to have this, this connection with the saints of old, with Abraham, Moses, David, we have the same faith as them. Yeah, we're seen as the same people. Mm. Um, and if you have a dispensational perspective, by default, it separates you in some way. This much smaller cloud. Yes, <laughs> the little mist. It's a little mist. It's like a <laughs> only the only the Jinchao ones. The Jinchao oh, ones. Yeah. Only New Testament clouds. Yeah, only <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great cloud. Don't get me wrong. A lot of good witnesses in that cloud but it is it is still a smaller it's just a smaller cloud oh that's funny um but but yeah like it affects our view of that um mm. significantly because like in, in our view um which is more on the covenant side of things for sure um like i i can call abraham my father yeah father abraham like, like we used to sing. And th- that song is great <laughs> theology. It is. Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons have Father Abraham. Abraham. I, I am, am one, one of them, them, and so, so are you. you. So let's, let's all let's praise, praise the, the Lord. Lord. Right. Yeah. Like, that is that is not dispensational not theology, dispensational. man. <laughs> How funny would it be? Because I grew up seeing that in my fundamentalist like grandfather's church. So I wonder if like a fundamentalist wrote that, just not even thinking of it. Oh, uh, I hope so. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I love that Because the song. truth is there. It's... Anyways, yes, yes, awesome. Lastly, <laughs> yes, lastly, and I think this is probably one of the most important things to me, is this affects our future hope. This mm. affects how we view the end yeah. times. And not just, I don't just mean how we view like the tribulation, is there a rapture, the thousand years. I'm talking like the end end, the, right. the, the new heavens and new earth, because... Because heaven isn't the end. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, heaven is heaven is the abode of God, wherever God is, and God makes his dwelling with humanity on the new yeah. earth. Yeah. So if you want to say heaven is the end, you can if you mean it that way, yes it is. But if you mean it in the in the like the right now, when you die and go to heaven, like that's right. not the end. Yeah. No, 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 no. There's Amen. gonna be like a beautiful resurrection. Amazing yes. end. Yes. Established kingdom forever. New Earth flourishing, it's like Eden times a million, a billion million. Ah, oh, dude. Anyways, yes. So, but here's how it affects it. So, and, and and it might not, depending on your view on dispensational theology, it actually might not affect it. Which I hope more people listening are like that. But I have heard many views of dispensational theology that do affect the view of the new heavens and new earth, and I have serious problems with it. Here's the thing. You can comment on this too, Josh, if you've heard something similar. Comment. Comment. So in many views of dispensational theology, the, particularly the view of Israel and the church distinction, yeah. 
they would view that those land promises to Israel are ultimately fulfilled not only in the thousand years, but also in the new heaven and new earth. Mm. And Israel is the one that gets all the land on the earth, mm. whereas the church, the Gentile believers, only get the city, the new Jerusalem. What a ripoff. <laughs> what a ri- I didn't sign up for this, man. <laughs> what my refund? I didn't <laughs> sign up for a small city. I wanted it all. <laughs> no. Which, don't get me wrong. If their view is right for whatever strange reason, um, I, I will be very happy... <laughs> I'm being snarky today. For whatever weird, <laughs> strange, <laughs> twisted reason, they're right. I'm so sorry. sorry. I'm, I'm passionate tonight. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Um, but if if their view is right, don't get me wrong. I'm happy yeah. that I'm I will be with my God. He is He is mm. my heaven. However, um, I don't think the New Testament paints that picture at all. And that that's like some weird sort of favoritism that God shows within His chosen people. Um, and God doesn't show favoritism like that like he like he he has those he has saved and those he hasn't and those he has saved are all his children and he loves all of his children equally yeah there's neither he's a good father there's neither jew nor greek slave nor free except for the land um there's no like like it's it's such a weird caveat to literally include jew and greek but only only in like only in salvation Right. That's what. That's all. That's yeah, the only parses, distinction. Yeah. That's the main issue here. It's like with the view of, I don't really have a problem if people view Israel and the church super distinctly necessarily, but as soon as you start parsing out the promises, yeah, and saying, uh, no, only these promises belong to this group of people, and only these promises belong to this group of people, it's like that's where I have a problem because yeah. the New Testament doesn't talk like that. Yeah. The New Testament says that um, you Gentiles in the flesh. You were once aliens to the citizenship of Israel. You were once aliens to the covenants of promise. Um, and aliens. I think it just says salvation covenant, doesn't it? It doesn't say covenant <laughs> and promises, does right, it? Right, right, right. You're funny. Sorry. Um, I'm also snarky. It says, and, but, it says but now because of the blood of Christ, you've been brought near. So it literally just says you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. Yeah. And but aliens to the covenant of promise. Now. But now because of Christ... <laughs> You're no longer excluded from the citizenship. Mm. So it's it. The language is all very like we're one group of people now because of there's Christ. a very famous pastor, author, theologian out there um, who I admire and I listen to a lot and I love his preaching and his teaching. I have a couple of books of his, um, but I've heard him talk about this and he's and he makes this claim that in in a covenant classical covenant uh, theology view. Israel gets all of the curses and none of the blessings. And he tells a story of a time in in Israel, someone gave a a very covenant theology sermon and um, some, uh, 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 An Israeli there got up and like dismissed the whole thing and said, what he essentially was saying is that we got all of the curses and none of the blessings. And I would say that that's just a very shallow view of scripture and and the blessings given to us. If if we think you promised me dirt, I want that dirt, and not incorporate that into the fulfillment of Christ, incorporate that into like the ultimate fulfillment in who Jesus is, and that He's going to restore all these things. 
let alone there's other there's other evidences into what was meant when God said as far uh, as far west as Egypt and as far east. As, there's different interpretations of that, which well, we can get into at some point, I guess. Yeah. But to be like, but but to say that that Israel gets all of the it, it's that distinction, that separation in their heads, where someone's saying like one body, like wait, so these people only got curses? I'm like no, you get the Christ. You yes. get the Messiah. Right. That's how this is all fulfilled is yeah. is ultimately and everything. Yeah. Isn't that We're definitely going to need to tackle that question yeah. in another episode, dude, because there's so much I want to say about that. And we yeah. will go another hour if we can. Oh, my word. It. Yeah. But hopefully that was a general mishmash, very unorganized <laughs> explanation of dispensationalism. It started out really good. It did. It did. And then we so got So hopefully you can, hopefully you, you were listening to that first part and then understood our ramblings was incredibly emotionally tied to how much we love theology. <laughs> yeah, especially especially this, because it's so practical. It affects how we view the Bible, affects our future hope, um, affects our spiritual connection with saints of the past, like so much to it. So Hashtag theology matters. Yes, hashtag theology matters. Yes, sir. <laughs> cool. All right, guys. Well, that was fun. It was fun. Um, make sure you like these um subscribe on your favorite or not favorite uh podcast platform and leave a review yeah it's gonna be five stars we don't care if you mean it yeah just give us five stars help 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 a brother out help a brother out all right guys (laughs) later deuce